This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but rarely do successful people get from point A to point B taking the most direct route. Host Jeffrey Klein speaks to a diverse mix of people to explore their story of success and the dots connected along the way. Thank you for listening. Here's your host, Jeffrey. This episode is indeed a journey into the imagination as we join a true artistic master, Tracy Lee Stum. We follow her journey from drawing with crayons as a young kid to becoming a visual merchandiser at department stores to finally becoming a successful mural artist and then finding her true calling as a 3D street artist. Enjoy the conversation, the creative expression, and the color that Tracy brings. My guest today is Tracy Lee Stum, a professional street painter, muralist, fine artist, and author who specializes in 3D anamorphic art design. Her book, The Art of Chalk, was published in 2016 through Quattro Publishing. Tracy is a former Guinness World Record holder, a TEDx speaker, and Tracy's a visionary and master in the street painting world. Her mind-blowing 3D images continue to wow, inspire, and amaze viewers around the globe. Tracy's experience in multi-city campaigns for such clients as Cadillac, Sobe, and Honda, which earned her a Cannes Gold Lion Award. Tracy is continually creating commissioned 3D and 4D works in chalk for advertising, uh, public, private events, corporate PR, and educational sectors. Tracy is also a U.S. State Department Arts Envoy grant recipient. She has presented art instruction to high school and university students through international workshops worldwide. One of her key points of focus as an artist has been to inspire and motivate others to explore their own creative imagination. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you, Jeffrey. I mentioned you before we started recording, I'm a huge fan of, um, of what you do, uh, both, and you're, you are a master, so uh, I really am excited. So I like to start at the beginning. So where were you born and what did your parents do for a living? Sure, let's see. I was born in Pennsylvania, in uh, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, in Franklin County, kind of central PA, out in the country a little bit. And um, my family moved to the Philadelphia area when I was uh, quite young, I would say probably uh, kindergarten, right before kindergarten. Hmm. So I had my um, upbringing in in the Philadelphia area. And uh, my dad actually was an electrical engineer who worked for General Electric at the time. That's why we moved down there. And uh, he spent years working there. And then he wound up working for the U.S. um, uh, Postal Service. And he also worked for the D- Department of Defense. So, um, oh. you know, he had a very uh, kind of illustrious career. My mom was a, uh, a housewife for the, the most of our upbringing. And then as we became old enough to kind of need less care, she got into real estate. She became a real estate broker and worked in that. Um, she was uh, active in that, uh, in that market for many, many years. So. So as a kid growing up uh, in, I guess, the Philadelphia area, did you have a sense of what you want to be when you grew up? Did you think you might follow uh, in real estate when you were older? Or as a kid, what did you think you wanted to do with your life? 
Oh, I, I had no issue. I think I was born knowing because when I was probably four years old, one of my earliest memories, three or four years old, I was drawing with crayons, you know, anywhere on the wall, on the floor, on paper. And I just didn't want to stop. So all I wanted to do was just keep drawing, keep going and drawing. And so um, I definitely think that I came into this world already, you know, laser focused on being an artist. So, uh, and did you did you know that you could do that? Like you had some sense even as a young kid, like people to go and become artists and things like that. Did you have any artists in the family? No, no, I didn't really know. I mean, I you know, of course, as I was growing up, I became aware that there were artists, but I just knew that I loved drawing so much and making images that that's all I wanted to do. So it was. Um, it's almost when you're an artist with that kind of. Uh, passion or commitment you don't really have a choice it's something you have to do mm -hmm. so uh, it was me exercising this need inside of me and um, as I got older I learned about art uh, careers let's say and at one point I think I was probably like eight or nine I wrote down a list of all the possible art jobs that I could have it was like artist designer, fashion designer, architect, interior designer, sculptor, like photographer, you name it. I wrote a whole list down. And I thought, well, I could do any one of these. I'll just pick one of these, <laughs> see which one. Uh, when you talked about crayons earlier, it made me think, have you ever been to the Crayola factory in Easton, PA? Have not. It's awesome. I and one of the things that it reminds me of is, so they have, they have a uh, kind of a plexiglass space where you can draw on the walls so you're allowed to actually and encourage to oh, draw on the walls it's, it's a really uh little gem um where you can go and explore and make and create and um i've taken my kids when they were little and that's it's, it's awesome so when you were growing up you didn't have any kind of artists in your family were there anyone who you looked up to as a role model yeah i think that i looked up to first of all my art teachers um, because I had some fantastic art teachers growing up um, all, the, all the way from, you know, elementary school, middle school to high school, just pivotal people who changed my life and made me aware of the possibilities that could exist with, uh, you know, pursuing an art career. Another role model I had, this is kind of an oddball, was Gene London. He was a local Philadelphia TV personality that had a TV show called Cartoon Corners. And he, what he would do in one of his segments of his show was tell a story and illustrate it while he was telling the story on a big tablet. And I was just riveted to this drawing that he was doing every week. You know, I couldn't wait for the Gene London <laughs> drawing segment and just, you know, it just really sparked my imagination. But crazily enough, years later, I got a chance to meet him in New York City and thank him you know, as an adult for his show. And, you know, the look on his face, you could tell he was like, oh no, another one. But <laughs> I think he was genuinely, you know, pleased that I actually came up to him and said something. I think, you know, having people, you know, who are touched by it, I mean, the impact, that's part of what he's trying to do, I'm sure. Um, and you mentioned interesting that he told a story while he was illustrating things. And for me, my whole life is about both the power of story and visual communication, which is the things that he was marrying. Uh, was there anyone in your in your um, in your role when you're growing up who was a really great storyteller? Yeah, I would say the first great storyteller was my mom, and she mm -hmm. had a knack for you know telling a story, conveying a, a fable or um, 
gosh, like fairy tales, parables, anything like that, she could tell with a lot of color and a lot of uh, description. So it was, it was opening up or unlocking my imagination. And, you know, my mom had stories from Thousand and One Arabian Nights, Hans Christian Andersen, you know, Washington Irving, like you name it. She was like, had the story. And so it was a very, um, uh, a, a childhood that was filled with the, the journey into the imagination. So that was great for me. Yeah, I think it's wonderful to have people who kind of expose you to all those different stories as a kid. Now, you talked about you had your list of jobs. So what was your first paying job? Okay, my first paying job out of art school, um, I'm going to skip like the babysitting and the fast food and that stuff, was um, <laughs> I got a job as a visual merchandiser for Gimbel's department store in Philadelphia before mm -hmm. they closed. So I, I started what, out- What is that? Sorry? <laughs> What is a visual merchandiser? I don't know. Oh, okay. So that is the person who goes into the department store, all the vignettes and with the mannequins and the signage and the artwork and the backdrops and things to, you know, entice the customers to purchase these things. So we was, a, it's a full job. We had a staff, we were making signs. We were using all kinds of things like styrofoam and sculpture and, and assemblage and collages and things like that to make these artistic statements around the store. And uh, it was a blast. I had a great time doing that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like a set designer almost in movies and things that you set the scene. Yeah, that's what it was. It was, um, you know, geared specifically towards their products, but, you know, I got a lot of uh, experience in learning how to set, set the stage for something. I wound up staying in that career for probably my goodness about eight or nine years and I moved from that company to uh, Urban Outfitters before they were um, you know a multinational company right. and then I wound up moving to New York and getting a, a position in another fabulous downtown retail store that was definitely more funky and for the hipsters and all of that so that was really fun. So you're in this visual merchandising and getting kind of craft these little uh, vignettes, as you said, to, to sell this. Um, so what time did you, did you realize, like, I, I want to be a street artist? Tell me, walk me through how you go from inside the, you know, department stores to I'm going to chalk some stuff on the, <laughs> yeah. on the street. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that is definitely a connect the dots kind of life, let's say, because you could not plan for something like this. I didn't even know it existed. And, you know, it happened by accident. So I, had, I had decided early on um, what, after moving to New York that I didn't really want to work in the visual merchandising world anymore. I wanted to have my own business. So I started doing mural painting and decorative painting and things like that, which led me to meet with designers. And I started, you know, and auton I was autonomous. I had my own business. I was doing that. I wound up moving to California, um, gosh, in the early 1990s. And... Uh, started dating a gentleman from Santa Barbara and he, they happened to have this amazing Imadinari street painting festival there. I didn't know anything about this. I had actually studied in Europe uh, during my college and had seen some guys drawing on the street, very rudimentary, you know, Christian religious theme pieces of the Madonna, but it was, it was not anything super special. It was just, you know, somebody making an emblem, let's say on the, on the ground. But I um, 
went to this festival in Santa Barbara with, with my boyfriend at the time. And I saw all these people over there in front of the mission. There's this beautiful uh, Spanish mission in Santa Barbara. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he, I, I saw hordes of people. They had a festival. I went, what's going on over there? He said, oh, that's the street painting festival. I said, what's that? Okay, let's go <laughs> check it out. And then I, I walked in and I saw, you know, hundreds at least dozens, but several, probably like 200 artists working on the street, making these Italian Renaissance masterpieces that were like 12 feet by 12 feet in chalk. And I just freaked out. I was, what is this? I have to do this. This is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. I want to try that, you know? And so I, the next year I managed to get into the festival and just, it was like a fish to water. I just jumped right in and felt right at home. So had you worked with chalk before? I had actually. And when I was in college, one of, I, I uh, majored in painting and drawing. I went to Tyler mm-hmm. School of Art, which is part of Temple University in Philadelphia. And wow. yeah, go, go Tyler Temple. <laughs> and um, the part of my uh, journey as a painter was developing drawings with my paintings and most of the time I would use pastel because it was drawing in color so I had a lot of work in pastel at that point in my life and when I was a kid my mom had signed me up for private art classes Uh, this is probably when I was like 10 11 years old and it was pastel drawing we were doing uh, still lives and things like that so pastel kind of came in and out of my life every so often periodically I didn't use it so much when I was in the working years doing the visual merchandising, but when I found the chalk painting on the street, I just, I just thought, oh, okay, I'm going to pull out that, that toolkit and see if I can go for it. I want to go back because there's a question I meant to ask you uh, when you were young. So I like to draw as a kid, but I, I didn't have any particular talent. Um, at what point did you realize, I'm not only, I love this, but I'm, I'm good at this? Was that pretty early on? And- uh, you mean drawing in general or the street painting? Drawing in general. So I mean, like as an artist, you realize, you know, not only do I love this, but I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, I think I um, discovered that when I was able to copy cartoons mm-hmm. that looked like the actual cartoon. You know, most kids do that. You know, they're gravitating towards the cartoons and the animation and stuff like that. And certainly I did too when I was young. So when I was able to copy and replicate a cartoon, it looked exactly like the character. I was so excited, you know, and after that, I, I still can't do that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've tried, I've, I've I tried different books at different times. And I, I remember distinctly for many years when my children were very young, they thought I was quite a good artist. And I think at some point they got old enough to be like, that's actually not that good. <laughs> um, in terms of its art, it's still, you know, I, I, creativity comes in lots and lots of forms. And, um, but, but as a, as a, I always tell people, I'm very creative. I can't draw, but I'm very, you know, I can uh, communicate the creative process to those that can. Hey, I give you credit for even going for it. A lot of people won't allow themselves to even do it because they're so intimidated. But so I think it's great. And obviously your kids saw that as like a little stepping stone to where they need well, I've had a little, yeah, it's interesting because they have a, a great art project uh, at the school where my kids go and um, they had to replicate an artist. And so one of them did to Montreal and one of them did at the time there was a peace symbol when the Paris bombings happened. Um, and since we've been quarantined, uh, my daughters, I mean, they have a, my, my mother-in-law is an artist um, and is amazing. 
Uh, my grandmother was an artist. So I have some art in my family, a little bit in theirs. And so they've drawn a couple things. Uh, they painted actually um, something that I was like, wow. Uh, so it's, it's great to, to be able to encourage whatever creativity, I think, uh, ways you can, you know, express Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Music, writing, theater, any of that dance, it's all good in my book. So. So you do this, uh, the festival, you fish to water. Um, when did you realize maybe you could make money doing this? Yeah, that's actually something that also happened by connecting the dots. It was, this was not a motivator at all. You know, I had a mm -hmm. thriving mural business going at this time when I started mm -hmm. doing the street painting and this was just a hobby. At that time when I started, there were maybe three or four festivals in the U.S. That was it. And so we had to wait for these events to actually go and draw. So it was super exciting for us. We get to, of course, I made friends with everybody at the festival. And then it becomes this big family. And you get to see them a couple times a year. And everybody's sharing. And it's, it's just this beautiful community-based um, event. So um, at one point, I loved it so much. And I just couldn't get enough. And I, I kind of remember saying to the universe, boy, wouldn't it be great if I could do this full time? And, you know, like, just this could be the most amazing thing. And so a, a year later, I put up a website. And just because I had a body of work and I thought, okay, I'm going to share this with the world. I put it up and I started getting calls from people just saying, you know, hey, we have this event. Can you come and draw? And at first I was like, yeah, I'll just, just come. Like, I don't have to be paid or anything. And I remember I got a gig doing street painting at the World Superbike races up in Laguna Seca, California. And I was a big motorcyclist at the time. So I was super excited a friend of a friend hooked me up. We got free tickets, you know, VIP treatment. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm drawing and I get to have a good time. And then from that phone call, I got more phone calls. And then I realized, wait a second, this is actually something that is in demand. And I, this was like in the early 2000s, I would say, um, when it started kind of blowing up. So I actually happened to be at the right place at the right time. I put a website up. I was, I was primed and ready. It's, this is what they always say is like, mm. prepare yourself for the opportunities that you can't even imagine are coming. So I was, and then, uh, another colleague who is a street painter did a project for an advertising agency, uh, Ogilvy and Mather, and it went viral on the internet. And then it was like, everyone knew what street painting was. It blew up. So his good fortune became my good fortune and everybody who was, Kind of working in that genre at that time and ready really um kind of took off so it was it just serendipitously happened and at that point i was having so much fun with it i said you know what i'm going to stop mural painting i'm not even going to do that anymore because there was something about this ephemeral performance-based art form that i really resonated with and it just it was so much fun i couldn't stop doing it so over the years that you've been uh doing the the street painting what's kind of the most surprising place you found yourself whether it was a particular project or engaging with it or a location that you as a, a you know 10 years before you could say i would have never imagined i'd be here yeah okay so the i think the most surprising thing from that came out of this was the international travel and mm -hmm. i you know i had i i was a person who liked travel i wasn't traveling a ton at that time and I wound up in places like South Korea and China making artwork and realized that 
you know, I'm, I'm going to a foreign land. I don't know anything about this place. I don't know really that much about the culture than what I read. And so I go there and I meet these people who are very different in some ways, but very similar in many other ways. And that was the thing that really hit me was that, oh my gosh, these are just, these people are just like me. We have the same challenges in life, the same desires in life. They just are coming from a different um, set of, of uh, rules, let's say, and everybody is in this together. So I felt really connected to the world and started to feel like a global citizen versus just somebody from Pennsylvania. And well, I think probably one of the most surprising experience that happened to me was I was street painting in India and um, I met my husband at a, an event there. So wow. <laughs> that, that was what's, what's pretty city? memorable. In, in Kolkata, India, I was there doing mm -hmm. some work for the American Center and uh, drawing at the Kolkata Book Fair, which is a big prestigious book fair in uh, India. And uh, my husband was a volunteer who decided to kind of join in the fun and help the artists, because I always ask for local artists when I go to these foreign events. And we mm -hmm. just hit it off and, you know, We've been happily married for two years. Congratulations. Thank you. That's Thank awesome. you. <laughs> uh, I, it's funny because I fell in love with my now my wife. Um, and about two, I had planned a trip to go around the world with my best friend. And I went. And thankfully, he had also fallen in love with his now wife. Wow. Because our trip was all like, oh, do you think the girls, like we could get something here? And, and we were in India and, um, you know, I, I was, we end up in some gem place and I'm looking at gems and I got a moonstone and some sapphires and it was, yeah, it's, there's some magical things about, about that part of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And so, you know, what it seems like you do from my perspective is really telling these visual stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, you talked about even from Gene London in the time that it was stories using that artwork, you know, those drawings to convey the story. And I wanted to ask whether or not you think uh, the ability to tell a story, whether writing or drawing is something, the story part element is something that you're either born with kind of, you know, you said your artwork was kind of there or is it something you can develop over time? I think that there are people who are innately um, blessed with the ability to tell good stories. I feel that people can develop that part of themselves. I didn't really know how much of a storyteller I was until I took up the street painting. And then mm -hmm. all of my pieces became about an imaginary, imag sorry, imaginary um, narrative that I was creating in my mind about that particular piece. So I wanted people that were coming by to view the piece to feel like they could step into my world. And I'm gifted with a, an ability to, to draw things. So my whole presentation was how I would engage them. And then we just start talking about the story. They would contribute, I would contribute. So uh, one of the things that I love about the street painting uh, probably the most is the public performance aspect and that you're out in, uh, you know, in an environment where you are bombarded with a lot of thoughts, ideas, concepts, opinions, all of those things that the, that the viewers give back to you. And that is so inspiring because it becomes a real ex exchange. 
that point. It's, it's like, I don't just make this painting and own it. I give it up to the public so they can take ownership as well. So there becomes this nice dialogue that happens. And I think that if you're very clear about your um, story and that you have a passion and an excitement for it, then the ability to become an effective storyteller is enhanced. In terms of uh, the street art you did, one of the things I think in terms of drawing people into that story is the three-dimensional element of it. Was that something you did from the very beginning? Is it, is it difficult compared to other art you've done? I mean, you seem to be a master now and all of a sudden we're looking down and into, you know, into some <laughs> ruins or whatever, you know, world. Yeah. Um, how, how important is that three-dimensional in terms of engagement? Well, I, at first I didn't start doing the 3D painting because I was learning and I was trying to figure out how to use pastel on a big swatch of, you know, concrete. Mm -hmm. um, that took some time because there's all kinds of little problems that arise with that. Uh, you know, learning how to apply it, how to blend it, all that stuff. So I started doing uh, reproductions at first. But I had been painting um, trompe l'oeil style artwork, which mm -hmm. means fool the eye. Trompe l'oeil is a French term. And it's a type of mural painting that um, creates the illusion of, of some architecture or element in a, on a flat surface. And most of the work we were doing were for ceilings and walls. I was doing a lot of work in Las Vegas. I actually painted quite a bit of the work at the Venetian um, uh, Casino in Las Vegas. And so- We were there not that not long Not that long. Well, actually now it feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> no, no, I was saying we, our family was there last okay, year. Okay, yeah, so. it's still up, it's amazing. Um, but, uh, so I, it was kind of a natural uh, progression for me to take it from the paintings, the painted ceilings to the floor. Of course, the floor presents its own problems because you're looking at it in a different angle. The, you know, the perspective is different, but, um, I had become familiar with a couple of local artists who had delved into the 3d artwork and, um, saw some of their work online and art from photos from the festival. And I thought, you know what, I can try that because that's kind of what I'm doing. So I started working with idea, the idea of images morphing into other images. In fact, that was my very first street painting, was an, an image, an original composition of an image morphing into something else. So um, I kind of went back to that and started developing and just kind of trial and error. Unfortunately, at that time, there were no books or blogs or articles about how to do this. So I wound up going back to the Baroque masters and reading books on how um, Andrea Del Pozo made his amazing optical illusions in Italy and um, some of the artists like that who had incorporated into their mural painting. So I find that the 3D pieces really uh, um, constant, like consistently engage the public immediately because they are very curious about how it works. Mm -hmm. How do you make that? And how does it look like that? And um, they, when they yeah, it's magic, right? So, well, some geometry is involved magic. there too. So math, math and magic. But, um, you know, explaining to them why this image looks completely distorted from one side and then you move around and you see it from the viewpoint that you've created and they get the aha, it's revealed, I understand what it is now. So that's magical in itself. And then if you create a piece where people can get into the painting, which has became something that I was very much in. Um, like I said, it, it gave ownership of the piece over to the person that's playing. So I wanted to tap into their 
inner child, their actor, you know, this is an opportunity for you to let go and have a good time. And then when they see the photo of themselves, like, you know, like that image you've got behind you, um, playing in a large painting, they just can't believe it. They think it's real. So, um, you know, this is, this is not something you're gonna see in your everyday life. So if you can come across a street painting like this randomly somewhere, uh, like in many of the advertising campaigns I've done around the world in the last, you know, so many dozens of years, um, people just will stumble upon this painting and freak out because they're like, oh, what is this? And, you know, and then they get to take a souvenir home, which is the photo in their camera. I couldn't help, I, had, I have to mention, you know, I, I'm assuming, uh, you've seen Mary Poppins. Yes. Um, part of me wish, you know, the, the when they jump into the street painting, I mean, he's a street artist and it, it, um, yeah. that magic of having things be interactive, not quite that interactive, but you know, the, the idea of becoming part of something that's, you know. Yeah, that definitely uh, influenced me as a kid too. I thought that was just so magical. And, you know, I'm drawn to those kinds of creative expressions and, I know that uh, one of the questions that you had sent me was, you know, what's your favorite film? And I have to go back to the most recent one is Loving Vincent. I don't know if you've seen that one, the animated film about Vincent Van Gogh. It was, everything was hand-painted. Every, every um, shot was hand-painted and they overlaid that onto real actors. And it, it's a moving painting. The whole, it's a film, a two-hour film about a moving right. painting. It's incredible. There's another one that I used to love too. It's called What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams. And that, you know, there's, there are scenes where they've animated and made these paintings that people just jump into. It's their heaven. I mean, that's heaven for it me. It was incredible. I remember being struck by those scenes in that movie. Yeah, just an amazing. Extraordinary. So any kind of visual, uh, magical wonderland is appealing to me. Well, my, my next question is going to be what inspires you. So maybe it's the magical wonderland. Uh, is there anything else that inspires you in terms of what you do? Uh, yeah, I would say that um, excellence and mastery inspire me. Anybody who is a master in whatever it is that they pursue, whether it's a creative endeavor, an athletic endeavor, uh, you know, an intellectual endeavor, I I am appreciative and admire and, and look for those people. I look for the geniuses because to me, there's something special there that motivates and inspires me. And I also am in, I'm influenced by um, world culture, you know, the world, people around the world. I love traveling. I love international travel. So I go to a new, I love going to a place where I can't speak the language. I can't read the alphabet. I don't know what's going on. Just drop me off and I'll figure it out. And it's, usually an amazing experience. Sounds like you have that too. So <laughs> I, I love it. And, and it's, it's, you know, and I think again, in those situations, you have to rely on the visual cues that are around you to try and piece together uh, the meaning. Yeah. Um, so you've been, you know, very successful in, in all these as an artist, which, you know, a lot of young people are, may have an interest in art. So what, what piece of advice would you give if you were speaking to your kind of 21 year old self? Uh, yeah, let's see. Um, I would probably tell myself to have a little more confidence in taking the road less traveled. Uh, you know, don't go with the status quo. Go against the grain. Push yourself into new places and don't be afraid of trying anything. I mean, don't be afraid of failure. Just go for it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I found myself in my life 
slightly blocked or at a standstill because I was not sure which way I needed to go. And I think that also listening to your heart will always lead you to the right place. So for me, the street painting was one of those situations where I, I saw the art form. I just immediately, something resonated. I said, I have to do that. I'm going to do it. And then it turned into my life for 20 years. I could never have expected that, you know, so it was a blessing. Uh, in terms of, yeah, you know, so you've been doing, you've, you know, you're a veteran, you know, and a master of, of street painting. Uh, what do you think is next for that industry? Uh, well, I, I see that um, the great uh, part of being a witness to how my industry has developed is seeing all of the many hundreds of artists now that are practicing this art form. And many, many of those artists are able to make a living at it, which is so exciting for me. So I consider myself a like second generation street painter because of when I started there were there was a generation before me that had kind of delved into it deeply now I can see like fourth and fifth generation street painters coming up and I think that's incredible for the legacy of the art form um as far as um gosh anything else there I think that you know just the opportunity that's available now and that the world has accepted these kind of fringe art forms as valid art forms to uh, embrace, you know, advertising companies and marketing companies worldwide see the value in visual uh, expressions that are, you know, outside of the norm. And that's been going on for probably about 15 years, um, you know, wholeheartedly, but um, it's great to see these opportunities popping up for, for young people. So I would say if you're an artist, you know, when I was an artist, there were, we didn't have the internet. So when I was a kid, so learning about art careers was something that I had to kind of find out accidentally or through my art teachers. Right. And nowadays um, kids can go online, you know, and look up all the various types of art that are being made and all the amazing artists out there are sharing everything that they have right now online, especially in quarantine. I mean, there's like free workshops, free webinars, like how to's they're posting on YouTube, everything you can learn and teach yourself and see that there are, you know, there's, there's opportunities in film, there's opportunities in animation and gaming that didn't even exist, you know, 30 years ago. Um, there's opportunities in painting and teaching and I mean, just everything. So I love the expansion of the art, art forms now. And what's next for Tracy? What's next for me? Let's see. Uh, well, I'm currently in the midst of completing my first 3D art museum in Mexico. Wow. And we were halfway through that when COVID-19 hit. So it's on hold right now. Hopefully we'll be opening that up later this year. Uh, we've got a couple, just a couple more weeks to go back and finish it. Um, and that's going to be in Puerto Vallarta, which is, I'm very excited about that. And then I've got another one slated for maybe later in the year on the East Coast. And nice. uh, it's just that the COVID-19 really kind of threw a wrench in mm. everybody's plan. So right now we're just um, kind of cruising along to see what develops. But uh, I am also delving back into my own personal painting work and teaching myself digital painting, which I could kind of rudimentary, I was rudimentary in, in the ability that I could um, render something, but now I'm actually improving that to get better. So I'm teaching myself a lot of stuff in this downtime. We have the time now, we should be doing that. Uh, so now we're at that point where we have the nine rapid fire questions and 
you already answered one, but we'll, we'll review that one. Um, so just first thing that kind of comes to your mind, uh, don't think about it too much. Is it better to be a planner or a doer? Doer. With some planning. <laughs> <laughs> Should stories always have a happy ending? No. Do you have a favorite emoji? I do. It's the heart. If you had to sing a karaoke song, is there a song you think you'd sing? Karaoke song, a good one. Oh, Katy Perry, I Kissed a Girl. <laughs> I think that'd be a great karaoke song. Uh, do, you know, you're saying you're getting up with digital. Do you have a favorite social media platform? Uh, I kind of have a love-hate with social media, but I would say that I like Instagram because of the visual aspect of it. It's, you know, it's kind of like a, a many portfolios out there mm -hmm. of what's inside people and what they create. Um, but I do actually like Facebook for staying connected to, mm. you know, my network. Can you name a book that had a lasting impression on you? A book that had a lasting impression? Uh, I would say Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm. By Yogananda. And remind us of the one of you, you had two movies that you prefer. One is your favorite movies. Uh, my most recent is um, Loving Vincent, but my all time favorite movie is hands down Blade Runner, the first one. Yeah. What's one thing you can't live without? Uh, probably, I would say a pen or pencil or some kind of drawing device, piece of chalk, that kind of thing. Seems fitting. Um, yeah. If you yeah. could be credited with inventing something, what would it be and why? Wow. Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I, I'd probably toss up. That's a toss up now. I'd say either a time machine because I'd love to go backwards and sit with Michelangelo on the scaffolding or forward to see what the challenges will be for the future. Um, but, you know, another one would be I, this is a, a much more practical one is a way to clean up plastic in the ocean. Mm -hmm. You know, so, something that would get rid of it for good once and for all. <laughs> Hopefully they work on something. Yeah. Uh, Tracy, this has been an absolute delight for me. I really appreciate your openness and, and sharing with us your expressions. Um, is there anything at the moment aside from the museum uh, that you're looking to promote or you want to share with people? Uh, yeah, actually, my team and I have just been working on, um, we kind of forayed now into doing art, making artwork, uh, 3D and murals for amusement parks and theme parks. And we just finished the new Nickelodeon um, amusement park at American Dream in New Jersey. That was last fall. And we just also finished the DreamWorks water park. Uh, the new indoor water park that's going to be an American Dream. So we have a ton of artwork in there, lots of murals, lots of fun little um, hidden gems. And, uh, you know, just to just it's fun to work in an environment like that. I've never kind of, you know, done that. And so being in a playful amusement park, you know, we get to test ride some of the roller coasters and things. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> So yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to and um, looks like that may continue. So very excited about that. And then uh, do you, uh, we'll share your, uh, where, where are you most active in terms of social media? If people want to try and engage with you and your work? Uh, I would say probably um, Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, I've got a bunch of videos on YouTube for tutorials and how to, that kind of stuff. 
Awesome. Um, we'll include all of those in the show notes. Yeah. And also they can, and if they're newbies and they want to try street painting, they can pick up a copy of my book, which has over 50 artists that are my peers and colleagues who are sharing their tips and secrets on how to actually draw on the street and, and do a 3D piece. So. Fantastic. We'll also include the art of the chalk. Thank you. Um, Tracy, I really appreciate your time and sharing all this with us. It makes me want to go draw and I'm not even an artist. So uh, that will tell you. A photo. Uh, I yes. love it. Um, I want to just, you know, say thank you for, for sharing and thanking you for helping us connect the dots. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could also do me a favor and please leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Remember, story matters and is the best way to connect the dots.